you said you, you described yourself as surviving, and that typically means you've got stuff gotten you getting you down. So I no, maybe means, that's just the low key British thing that you've got going on, or English. Yeah, thing. excuse me. It's, it's kind of like okay. we get confused when Americans say "have a nice day" because we're like, well. I don't even know if the next 15 minutes are going to be all right. <laughs> yeah, that's so English. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious Fan. Welcome to episode 89 of Third Degree, the podcast, which is brought to you by Soccer 90. The Soccer 90 holiday sale starts this weekend. You get 50 to 75% off starting on Friday, then also Saturday and Sunday. And then on Monday, the 14th, Third Degree listeners receive 40% off with the promo code Third Degree on Soccer90.com. Hi, I'm Peter, and joining me today are my two good friends. First off, the always even-keeled Dan Crook with an E. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Peter. So that sale begins tomorrow, considering we're recording Thursday. Unless somebody downloads and listens to this on Friday, then that means it starts Forget today. Them. I'm talking about me saving money here. <laughs> uh, yes, correct. That Noted. is correct. Yes, sorry. I was The time-shifting we were talking about here is a little confusing. Yes, the Soccer 90 holiday sale starts today. Friday, which could be today or tomorrow or even potentially yesterday, depending on when somebody's listening to this. So, And then, of course, also joining us is your hero, my hero, and everybody's hero, editor, founder of ThirdDegree.net, and your definitive resource on all things Football Club Dallas, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hi, Peter. Turning 50 sucks, by the way. I threw out my back hanging Christmas lights. (laughs) (laughs) That wouldn't have happened if you did it before Thanksgiving. Yeah, Yeah. I I wouldn't have been 50, but yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask, Buzz, how much of that has to do with being 50? Uh, Nothing. I have a really crappy back. Uh, Oh, okay. It was the the leaning over onto the IV part that just tore it up. All right. Is that like an old back injury from trying to learn how to do cryo turns back in the day? No. If you want to know the story, I hit a tree skiing and uh, my back's been, I mean, nothing really bad actually happened to me, but my back's been really poor since then. You know, I can't sit in a car for a long time without a, one of those back roll things, you know, no big deal. Just when I did the Christmas lights, it really hurt the next day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we should all be thankful you weren't killed in a skiing accident sometime way earlier in your life. I I was thankful. And that's the joint chiropractic, uh, code third degree. <laughs> Won't save you any money, but just try it anyway. Yeah, just go to any random chiropractor and see if you can give them the promo code third degree for a, an adjustment. <laughs> that would be awesome. Okay, well, this is the first podcast that does not have a game because, as we talked about last week, season over But I do have to take a moment to express my utter amount of pure and unbridled jealousy that I have for the Seattle Sounders in watching them claw back with three goals in like 10 seconds to win a game that they probably didn't have much space winning. (laughs) And just thinking, of course, it had to be Seattle. Well, it's, uh, I'm pretty happy with that comeback just because I predicted they would win it all. So 
Did you get any money on it? No, no, I just, you know, just my pride of having said that they would. So it's nice to see them do it again. But, uh, you know, it's typical. They have difference-making players and a big, solid, full roster, and they do it like you should do it. And uh, let's be honest, if Montreal, not Montreal, if Minnesota won that game, be like, but they're even worse than FC Dallas. Well, I think what it what it did was is it relieved us of the pain of knowing yet another team that didn't even exist the last time the one time Dallas made it to MLS Cup and lost it on our own goal, uh, and on the pain that uh, occurs every time I think about that. Although Seattle is one of those teams too, but at least they've been to the cup a few times and won it since then, so I don't count them in the same way. Plus, if if the team that beats you goes on to win it, or you can be like, yeah, second second best. Yeah, yeah, screw everyone else. <laughs> Good point. That's a very false feeling, Dan. We all know from last year. And I think the year before, because didn't Portland win it the year before? Or was that Atlanta? Atlanta. Atlanta. All right, never mind then. I take it back. Okay, so uh, since we don't have a game particular to talk about, we will get into a little bit on the team and the season. But I do think we need to go back to the real headline and the thing driving most conversation about the club, which is Brian Reynolds pending sale to some European club. Insert name here. Buzz, I think you've got some updates you'd like to share with us. Who? Brian? Who? No. Uh, Yeah, Brian Reynolds, all the noise. Um, The update yesterday was that there are now three official bids and for brian reynolds um i have permission today to tell you where those three bids are from in terms of what country they're from i can't say what clubs they are but the three countries and this perhaps will be fun lithuania not lithuania iceland no the prices on reynolds are way past China. places like iceland or lithuania or mls being able to afford him oh. uh, the three three bids that are in are from belgium France and Italy. Those are the three countries. I was close. You were close. Yeah. But it's fun to talk about. And, and, uh, it's, it's, I'm having a great time just sort of following along with it all. Um, it's fun to watch the, the, the people move around and, and posture in public, including Andre Zanata yesterday, which made me laugh. But, um, it's, you know, I think there's probably another couple of weeks before this thing gets done, but I still think it's done before December ends. What about Zanata's uh, comment about it made you laugh? Uh, do you want to read it to everybody? Did uh, you, you can. Or did, did, well, do I have it somewhere? Yeah, I put it in the channel. It. Uh, let's see. I'm going back up. He said. Oh, I have it here. Yep. Go ahead. You want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead. I don't have a Brazilian accent, so I won't try that. <clears throat> Plus, Weirdly, I'm, nor does he. It's fine. Yeah. Right, and it'll probably be deemed racist anyway. All right, where I'm from, I'm used to this. I'm used to having young players get clubs in Europe interested. We need to be open. If it's a good offer for the club and a good offer for the player, we'll see what happens. At this moment, I can tell you there's nothing concrete. We're going to keep working as if Brian will be here next season, close quote. All right, so what made me laugh was that uh, there's no way he's going to be there next season. The level of money floating around is <laughs> too much. And then the you other can, sign you is... You can plan all you want yeah. there, Zanata, but he ain't going to be here. After. Matter of fact, I want you to plan for him to not be here because that's what's going to happen. Um, right. And the other one is the idea that there's nothing concrete. Well, three legitimate offers are definitely concrete. So obviously he's spinning to downplay this whole scenario. And... My reaction to it is, as I was trying to think, why in the world does it help? Or does it, obviously, he thinks it helps SC Dallas in this situation to downplay any move. Because in my brain, 
you want a hype move so that the price goes up if you're FC Dallas, right? So why would he want to downplay? And my guess on why you would downplay it is that if you're from a country where you have a gigantic, massive, fanatical fan base that might react negatively to why are you selling all our players? You didn't get enough money. Screw you. Fire the technical director. You can see why you would want to keep it quiet until the deal's done. And then you just trot it out. Whereas under promise over deliver theory. Yeah. Under promise over deliver. You don't want to get roasted by your fan base because they keep hearing some numbers that are not real. You know, Oh, why is he going to that team? Why are we selling them at all? You know, there's like five people in the FC Dallas fan base that will care enough to be upset that you're selling Brian Reynolds for whatever you sell him for. So that's my assumption is that this perspective comes from not being used to MLS fan bases is my guess. So I, cause I don't know why you would downplay it otherwise. One of the more interesting aspects or side aspects of this whole adventure that we've seen in the last couple of weeks since you uh, broke the news buzz has been the introduction of the Juve fan base globally. That has been really interesting to watch on social media and online and their reactions. And what you find by and large is that football fans are pretty much football fans uh, across the board uh, in, in their reactions to, to, to these kind of stories. Well, was there any particular part that surprised you or didn't surprise you? Well, I know just like the immediate reaction of, oh, he's from America, so he's got to be shit. Or, oh, yeah, oh my yeah. God, I watched a highlight reel of this kid and he looks amazing. I watched a YouTube highlight and he's amazing. He's going to be, the you know, uh, sign him for whatever they want. Kind of. I mean, the, it, it really is that incredibly wide spectrum of reaction yeah. that you would see even just, you know, inside MLS. And I just found that. And, and then some of the other kind of like just the number of uh, Juve outlets that have reacted acted or repeated or retweeted your report. I find all of that fascinating yeah. and you just really begin to understand what a global brand it really is. Yeah, some it was amazing to watch both like my tweet blow up and the amount of hits we got on the website, but even like people that people that would retweet it without actually tagging me, like some of those tweets just got huge blow-ups and it wasn't even their news. They just swiped it, you know, so that was right. kind of weird. Um a lot of the reactions from indi- individual fans of course happened from uh, a highlight reel, or then they watch one game. And as we talked about last week, it was the one game where he was slightly hesitant in the first half, you know, and people were like, they react one way or another, but you know, the, the way the clubs work is that once the guy comes under their radar, which in a case of a guy like Brian, there probably have been some clubs that have been aware of him since he was 15 and playing for the U 17s, you know, on the national team stage that gets people aware of you, you know, and then once he made it into the, and I know for a fact, people watched tape of him at North Texas, and then once you see tape of him in MLS against a higher level of competition, that's when they really paid attention. And the clubs that are interested in him now, they literally watch every single game to watch him play, to see how he is. They don't judge things on like a highlight reel or whatever. So these teams that are interested in him are very serious. Uh, and the reason they're interested is not w- anything to do with how good he is now. It's what they're looking at and what they're seeing is the potential to what they think they could turn him into. You know, it's the reason why Reynolds is worth more than Cannon has to do with the fact that they think they can turn him into Alfonso Davies, whereas they might watch Cannon and not see the same thing. It's the attacking flair going forward. It's the combination of pace and size and strength and touch, you know, the innate attacking abilities. 
they see a guy who doesn't really defend very well. That, you see a lot of that comment, right? Well, he's not mm-hmm. a very good defender, people will say. Or, well, he needs a couple more years to learn. Well, of course he does. It's not. He's not going to walk into, let's say it is Juve. He's not going to walk into Juve as a starter. They're going to develop the guy. You know, He needs to learn to play defense still. It's the upside and the potential that everyone is super excited about. Uh, Dan, are you with me that if one of these clubs turns out, and let's just say, for example, uh, uh, Buzz, you reported the, the countries are Belgium, Italy, and what was the other one? France. France. Let's just say that the... Uh, uh, I, well, let me repeat it. Let me say it this way. Are you with me that it's likely the best landing point for somebody like Brian is to go to a club in Belgium based on the fact that it's a little lower pressure and far more likely he'll start from the onset? Uh, not necessarily. Um, in Loans are used to great effect. Uh, I think you can look even at Jack Harrison when, uh, when Man City kind of picked him off out of uh, New York City and they've uh, done that two-year loan to Leeds. He's been absolutely phenomenal for Leeds. He's under a great coach there, you know, um, settled in really nicely. And at the end of the season, they've got a a tough choice whether they want to just sell him on for a a big profit or kind of develop him further. It's As long as it's not like a a Chelsea situation where it's a, a club that just is a loan factory and and uh, doesn't really keep track of their players, it should be fine. And going back to uh, before you came stateside, is there a similar situation of a young, talented Englishman uh, that was getting such uh, such attention that you recall or you think this uh, relates to? I mean, I wish. uh, Unfortunately, (laughs) English players uh, have had a great fear of going abroad for for several years uh, it's only really since Jaden Sancho went to to Dortmund that people have gone oh yeah that can happen again and is that by and large because of the the way the system exists in England that players don't need or have that that calling to go to another country um I think it's more I think it's a cultural thing uh you know we're you know we go we go to uh Spain habitually and then our idea of uh blending in with the locals is to speak sp- to speak english but louder and then look at them funny when they either don't know what we're saying or they speak a better level of english than we do <laughs> all right so the big question that's been running around in my head since all this came out is who is going to replace brian reynolds at right back assuming that he's not here, and to your point, uh, Buzz, hopefully they are actually planning in this manner. Yeah, um, that's a good question. There's a long list, uh, and I think uh, of possibilities, and I think my answer might surprise you, perhaps, and it might surprise Dan, perhaps. And yeah, if it's the answer that I'm hoping you don't say, it will horrify me. Yeah, the, the it might even surprise some listeners. My guess, my instincts, are that Emma Tuamase will be your right back at the beginning oh, of the season. Really? Yep. That's my take. Now, what is that? Is that just like a weird uh, gut feeling since you haven't had a chance to go watch these guys train? Or is that based on some sort of, you know, super secret buzz uh, uh, insight? You've well, there's a, there's a tiny bit of that bladder, but um, most of it is because, I don't know if you remember, it was about a year ago where... Lucci talked up the idea of Emma Tuomasi playing right back. They even tried it in a couple of scrimmages. And one reason they sent him back to the Austin Bold 
was that he was going to play right back for the Austin Bolt. And he played right back for maybe three or four games. And then because he's too good, they shifted him up to right wing mostly. So Hmm. the other side of the coin is that, uh, in my opinion, from watching North Texas play, Eddie Munjoma is not ready for Major League Soccer. Uh, He needs games. Now, if he had a really intensive spring and they really put him onto the grind, could they get him ready for opening day? Could you go with that and survive in Major League Soccer? I mean, probably, but... Um, you know, I don't, I think he needs another half a season with North Texas Moonjoma does. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, most importantly, uh, Lucci loves, loves attacking outside backs, right? His whole system is built on the success of such players. Now, when they go on the road and he panics, sometimes he puts the brisson out there, but I think the general plan will be for it to be an attacking right side backs. Moonjoma fits that bill, but that, that's why it won't be. I don't think in the plans to be somebody like Rasan. We've seen the Hollings that idea work, but then you get Nelson on the left. Not that we don't think he's fine as a defender, of course, but he's not there yet. So I think if they, I think they're going to go with Emma Tuomasi in the beginning. And if it's cratering and burning and it's just flat out horrible, then you'll go back to Hollings head, right? Nelson left as your second choice because Minjama still is not ready in my mind. Well, I was hoping you did not say Hollingshead because my recollection is is that he's a disaster anytime he plays on the right versus the left. Uh, and then my second question or follow-up to what you just said is, does that mean Majoma will be in the 18 starting next season or he's not even ready for that yet? Uh, well, he'll play a lot for North Texas, I think. You know, So that may limit him from time to time from, from being in the 18. You know, but... Um, also, the the 18-man roster, if they go back to 18, presuming that they will post-pandemic, they might stick it bigger. You kind of have to – a lot of times the 18 is going to depend on uh, your need, potential needs subbing. So, like, if Hollingshead is your left back and, and Tuomasi is your right back, you're probably going to have Johnny Nelson, who's your more expensive, more experienced outside back on the bench because he's the guy you can bring in defensively to shore things up, right? Whereas Munjoma, you can't really count on for that where you might see Majoma on the bench if they think, oh, here's a game where I feel confident we're going to be okay, and now maybe I can bring him in for 10 or 15 minutes. That's when you see Majoma rotate in on the bench. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, I'm expecting him to start pretty much every game for North Texas through, let's say, the middle part of the season or until they deem him, yes, he's actually ready. And then, of course, it'll be a real competition between him and Tuomasi, depending on how good Tuomasi is doing. That's the way I see it going. All right, so uh, for people listening to the pod that aren't familiar with, is it pronounced Majoma? Majoma. Majoma. Uh, Dan and or Buzz, whoever would like to uh, tell us a little bit about his game and what we should expect out of him. Uh, Dan, have you seen him enough? Do you want to go? Uh, I haven't actually seen a whole lot of him. You've definitely been following him since college. Yeah, he, he's a very uh, capable attacking outside back. He's so good, in fact, Um in college anyway, that SMU basically just completely abdicated the entire right half of the field to him. They like, (laughs) they played like a full lopsided formation with like no right wing at all. Like basically like, uh, like Dallas did uh, against Seattle where Ryan went and ran into the middle and played in the middle of the whole game. They did that every game with Manjama because he could basically play the whole right side by himself. Now 
that's college though. That's not major league soccer. Major league soccer. He's not ready to be, to do that by any stretch of imagination. So we've only seen him. He got in a way he got uh, hurt a little bit by uh, the COVID situation in the sense that he couldn't go back and forth for North Texas. Eventually they quarantined him and sent him down just to sort of give him like a six game run at the end of the season. So he needs more of that. And he's such a good attacker that they put him in at the last couple of games. Eric Quill started him as a right wing instead of a right back. So the potential is there. He has a lot of the skill sets that'll fit Lucci ball. That's one reason why they draft him and he can even do it on the left side as well. So he's a very versatile player in that sense. And that's one reason why they signed him as a homegrown in the first place. He's just not up for like the, the level of play and the minutes uh, and the skill level needed yet for MLS. Whereas Tuomasi we've seen actually capable of playing in MLS at a reasonable level. So he's ahead of Munjoma. If you, if you get what I mean, like there'll be uh, the speed of the MLS and the speed of the, the, and the tactical shapes for Munjoma are not there yet. It's the only, he's only been in camp for a year, if you will, with FC Dallas and that's not enough compared to, say, Brian, who was here for three and a half years before he played, you know, and to Amasi, who's been here for three years. It's a big difference. Uh, okay, so just to kind of uh, sum up the Brian Reynolds situation, do you have an idea of when you think this will start to um, really happen? And my second question is, is it possible that this will get such a big deal it will start to eclipse the $10 million transfer fee? Mm, well, I think it's only going to take a couple of weeks, um, you know, that having them already have official offers in, you know, of course, the holidays might disrupt that a little bit. Like, so you might throw out the week of Christmas and New Year's Eve as being part of that two weeks in a sense. So, you know, beyond early into January, I don't see it past that hmm. first okay. week of January at most. Um, and could it eclipse 10 million? I think I think it's going to have a chance. I think it probably doesn't eclipse 10 million because FC Dallas likes to complicate these things. Uh, they really do. It's incredible. Um, they like to put in sell on clauses. They like to attach, Oh, Hey, take another guy on loan. You know, they like to overly complicate these things and it, it slows it down a little bit and it can affect the price a little bit. Is that, so we'll a, see. Is, is that a Zanata thing or is that a, no. a hunt thing? It's a hunt thing. I mean, it's it's a hunt thing, and Zanata does it because the Hunts want it. They want to develop the program, and they have some guys they need to find a place to play. Some, you know, and and the whole model is to produce these these young kids and then sell them, right? That's the whole thing now. So it's like if they can send over, you know, a Richards to Byron and as a tag along. I mean, it's that's a bad example because there was no primary player going to Byron. But like if they could tag along a player to you know play for your U19s or something, or you know if they can mix that in or if they can mix on a sell on clause. I mean, I don't know hundred percent of any of the specifics in this case. I just know Dallas loves that stuff. So it, it always like, look, think about how, when I said Reggie's deal was basically done and then it took yeah. like another three weeks because, because Dallas complicated it up. They kept trying to do all this stuff, you know? So, uh, it's what they do. Well, and to be fair to the Hunts, that may actually work out in their favor now that it looks like uh, Boa Vista is already getting calls about Reggie and other elsewhere in, in, uh, in other clubs. Yeah, I can't complain about protecting your own interests. And basically, they're making a bet on their player making it and becoming like a big deal. I mean, there's a sell-on percentage in Richard's deal. 
There's mm-hmm. a selling percentage in Reggie's deal. They always think they're always betting that their guy is going to come good and be worth. And like in Reggie's case, what were they already? They were already telling uh, uh, Porto and, and Benfica the price was ten. You know, and in that case, because Dallas has fifty percent, that needs to be that high for them to make their money. But the same is true with Richards. They knew that there was a better chance that he'd be sold than it would that he would break into Bayern Munich's team because Bayern Munich's team is ridiculous. And when they need a player, they go sign somebody for seventy million. They don't. I mean, that's seventy. That's ridiculous for Bayern. Twenty million for Bayern. You know, but still, you know, rather than some kid. I mean, they're playing him a little bit, but I mean, without being privy to Bayern Munich's garbage and internally, I shouldn't say garbage, but Bayern Munich's stuff internally. For all I know, they're just shopping the guy, hoping that they can sell him for five or six or ten million to get back half of the twenty million they're going to spend on. Well, I don't know what they paid for Sancho as an example, but, you know, these things are all much bigger and much more complicated. And I don't blame Dallas. It's probably probably really smart of them to get these salam clauses and bet on their young players. It just complicates things. And like once they agree to a price, let's say hypothetically, if they agree 10 million, Dallas will then say, okay, how about eight? And you give us 50%. You know what I mean? So it slows it down. Hmm. You also have to consider with those as well. Just the uh, you know the the, mar- the way the market works, the kind of undervaluing uh, of certain players like um, you know Reggie for like the the three million or what it is because he's American. Uh, well, take Ben Chuo ex- as an example. He got sold for fifty five million dollars. He's not you know a world class player, but because he's an English player moving from an English club to another English club. There's that massive rise in in costs. So what they're really, you know, as much as gambling on the player, they're gambling on the market itself to say, hey, look, buying a player from Portugal costs more than it does from the US, and buying a player from Germany costs a hell of a lot more than it does from the US. Yeah, I mean, listen, I watched some of a couple of those Boa Vista games with Reggie. That league does not look better than MLS to me. So why a week before he was worth two point five million, now he's worth ten million. It's just visibility to the European yeah. clubs. And of course, both of us are being greedy, but you know it, it's how it works. And most players, American players, aren't worth as much, quote unquote, as European players, Europe, and Portuguese players, and you know, you know what I mean. So that's all part of it. Fun thing, uh, fun fact. Uh, you mentioned the uh, the experiment with Imatua Marseille to put him at the back. Do you remember the second part of that experiment? Oh, it just slipped my mind. What was the second part? It was turning um, Brian Reynolds into a left back. Oh, yeah. Because it was the Sevilla game where (laughs) Brian came on at right back, then switched over to left so Emma could play right. Well, speaking of Brian and and being versatile, he went to a, I want to say it was a U18 US national team camp one time, and they played him the whole camp and at every game as a center back because he's big and powerful and can pass pretty well, <laughs> you know? So it just depends on where you value. I mean, look at what Chris Richards is. We all think he's a center back and Byron keeps playing him as a right back and a left back. So it just depends. I have a fun fact. Okay. I have it on a good source that Brian splurged and bought himself both a PS five and a new Xbox for Christmas. Well, he can afford it. <laughs> he's lucky enough just to be able to get one. Well, you know, he's got connections now because he's 
Big Bad Brian. I want to uh, move on to another player that was in the headlines this week and and provide the listeners some uh, insight and some facts that are tied around him because I get every time his name comes up and people start having weird uh, 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 they don't get their facts right in terms of history. Uh, is all tied to Weston McKenney, who scored just a farting absolute golazo in the Champions League for Juventus this week. And it was such a great feel-good moment. And I hope everybody listening to this pod that has any ties to Dallas or this club understand how just how kick-ass that is that that happened this week. But then, after the fact, there's all this misinformation and um, factual inaccuracies about his ties to FC Dallas that I, I wanted to clarify and then also uh, provide some information about solidarity payments, uh, solidarity payments and, and training payments. So, um, Buzz, help everybody get on the same page about the history of Weston McKinney and FC Dallas and his contractual situation and what the Hunts could and could not have done, please. Yeah, well, essentially, um, when he was coming up out of the academy, this was before the homegrown system had really uh, kicked into effect for FC Dallas. You know, we talk a lot about protect your investment signings. Well, the reason that the club does those is because of Weston McKinney. Before that, they hadn't really ever thought about signing a guy that was like 15, 16, 17 years old. It wasn't really even, you know, thought of. You know, they, their thought was guys will go to college and then we'll bring them back a, a year or two later and they'll be ready to, to be a player. And that's sort of the way they were working with homegrown players. And Weston got into some of the youth national teams and particularly was outstanding and, and went over again, went over to some European tournaments and was like MVP. And that's, of course, where he gets spotted, where he gets scouted. And um, so Dallas was essentially like, slow playing him, you know, let him go to college and then we'll, and then we'll talk to him and see how it goes. And once Schalke came in with Schalke's money and listen, Schalke's not even crazy money. Schalke's just mid table bonus, like money. Once they came in, then Dallas was like, Oh crap. You sure you don't want to sign for us? And it was too late. It was already over. Like you can't, even if, even if they had gotten in ahead of time and like had discussed Weston and they didn't, that's their fault. But even if they had homegrown deals run from about somewhere in the, like they, they can be as low as like 40, 50,000, but that's really rare. The bottom end is usually more like 70,000 a year. And they go up to like 120, maybe 140 if they escalate a little bit. Well, that's not the kind of money that German teams are bringing to the table. There's just once, once Schalke came in, FC Dallas had no chance. So it was there. They slow played the kid and they blew it. And even if they hadn't slow played him, the German money, because he had to wait till he's 18, you know, whether he would have waited till he's 18 or not is an interesting question. But the minute the German money came in, it was over. Yeah. I, I think another way to tell the story, uh, to be fair to Dallas, is that they probably misread or misjudged the situation versus slow play. Because slow play mean to me means they were hedging their bets that he was never going to get that kind of uh offer from a European club. And I and 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 my read on it was is they just misread the situation and played their hand and it didn't go their way. But it, to your point, uh, while theoretically uh there is no real limit, like they could have offered him whatever contract they wanted to. They'd have to, you know, do some of the MLS machinations to make that math work. Yeah. 
Um, there is no tech, there is no real limit they could have paid him. But at the end of the day, there was no amount of money Dan and Clark could have put down in front of Weston McKenney to get him to stay just simply because he had always had his eyeballs on, uh, on the opportunity to go to Europe and how that ultimately would vastly improve his career path versus staying in Dallas. Yeah. I mean, you remember he was, a, as a kid, he lived in Germany and played in Germany. You know, the slow play might be the wrong adjective, but you know, they were, they were sure that he was going to be here in America and as I say, the idea of signing teenagers wasn't really on the front of the brain back then for SC Dallas. You know, well, certainly not at that level, not at the kind of money that he ended up getting. And I don't even know the details of the money. I just know that it was significantly better than what SC Dallas could put on the table. You know, the only you get weird exceptions to the homegrown money when like Jordan Morris is a famous example. Like he, he got paid so much money as a homegrown that he couldn't be on the usual roster protected portion that homegrowns fit on the salary cap, which is the bottom 10 players that don't count. Morris got so much money because you remember he made the national team when he was still at Stanford, right? right? So he got paid like a big fat, probably even a DP level money. So you can do that. It just puts them on the top half of the senior roster, which defeats a lot of the purpose of the homegrown contracts and the homegrown signings, which is the fact that you can pay them these mid hundred thousand dollar contracts if you want and have them be on the portion of the roster that's set aside for guys that make 40K, the non-roster, uh, non-salary cap protection part. So it's possible to do it. But even it, even if they'd have given him 400000 I still don't think that he's going to take that over what the German clubs can offer him you know, and bring to the table. It's just monetarily speaking, they blow MLS out of the water. And in terms of the cachet and the dream of playing in Europe, you can't touch it. They well, have no chance. Yeah, I, I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth here because part of the reason why I want to tell this story is to defend the Hunts and FC Dallas about how this went down. And at the same time, there is a level of justified criticism they should get in how they misread the situation because certainly – Guys, it's Major League Soccer. If there's a player that good that they want to remain in the league, they'll figure out some sort of machination, i.e. Jordan Morris, to allow that to happen. I just don't think the Hunts and or FC Dallas in, in that moment really quite understood how good he was, at least enough that he ended up getting offers to go to Europe, which were, and by the, by the time that was done, was way more than they were ever willing to spend in the first place. Yeah, I don't think they recognize this talent level. Like that's definitely clear. Yeah. Uh, so the other part of this, and Dan, I was—I I don't know what your knowledge level about this is. <clears throat> um, oh, the other part of that, I just want to say is, I, I the other because I I want to make clear there was no limit. I keep seeing people say, "Well, the Hunts couldn't pay this amount of money. They could have, they just didn't get to that point." I, and I just want to make sure everybody understands that fact as well. Too fair enough. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, as, as Buzz said, it was purely down to how you factored him into the roster. Um, you know, the limit is 125 grand to to keep them in the supplemental roster as a homegrown. Uh, Jordan Morris, I think they, they were trying to, Seattle initially were trying to uh, angle to get it raised to 250 grand. And I think MLS were like, no, you just, you've got to put him in your regular roster. Right. Um, but that's kind of, you know, so the only kind of limit as such would be if there was any, and this would be one of the cases of penny pension, is if the Hunts are like, well, we'll pay him 160, 170, which, 
still, uh, Schalke would beat three or four times over, and then. Uh, but we don't want to. We don't want to count it against the the uh, the salary cap. That right. would be the kind of nickel and diamond aspect. Yeah, and again, just to be clear, the kid was never going to sign with Dallas. He knew he it, there. There were people in his ear saying there are things coming, and he just was never going to do it. And that doesn't mean he doesn't like the club or respect his time here or value it. It just he had a different path, and so everybody should just know on balance that's how all of that went down. Now, the part I really wanted to include you in on, Dan, was this conversation that's now come up because of the fact that Juve uh, has put in for a permanent transfer fee from Schalke uh, on Weston McKinney, what that means back to Dallas in terms of payments. Because, you know, now with the change in attitude about solidarity payments and training payments, some of the facts and figures around that, because, uh, you know, immediately when this news broke, I think everybody's dollar signs started appearing in everybody's eyeballs. Uh, and and there are some very clear rules around what those things are. They're two separate things and how that would apply to Weston. So are you in agreement with me that solidarity payments are limited to 5% of whatever the transfer fee is? That's correct. And it only applies, uh, and and only applies per se on international transfers from one country to another. So this apply, so that works in this in this case. Mm-hmm. And then the training payments is a different thing altogether. Oh, by the way, and works from the ages between twelve to twenty three. Solidarity payments could go on through the uh, the remainder of the the player's career. On the other hand. Training payments also work from the ages of clubs the player played for from 12 to 23, but stop at the age of 23 and is a locked in value based on some sort of tiering system FIFA has for clubs. Did you know that? Yes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a big thing, actually, uh, with Luton right now. We, uh, we've uh, got tier two academy status and, and are having to build... It's like this, this whole deal about how far the main pitches from the changing rooms and, and all this <laughs> all this crazy dumb stuff. Do you know what FC Dallas I know FC Dallas is not a category one. In fact, there are no CONCACAF clubs listed as category one. Is Dallas a category two or category three club? Do we know? I, I don't know what the, the FIFA categories are. I just know in England what the, the okay. FA categories are. All right. Well, uh, the payment for either one of those, if Dallas was considered a Category 2, would be a $40,000 payment. If it's a Category 3, it would be a $10,000 payment. And those will only pay twice, once upon the player's transfer from one country to another, and then a second time on his subsequent sale to a second club. So... All of that to say that if, in fact, the Weston McKinney to Juve deal goes down for some bajillion dollars, the money back to Dallas, well, let me put it this way, the money back to whatever clubs Weston played for between the ages of 12 and 23 would be limited to 5% of the transfer fee and approximately somewhere between ten dollars and $40,000 in training payments. What I'm not clear on is... When Weston joined FC Dallas, was FC Dallas his only club starting at the age of 12, or was he not playing for a club for the for Texans or Solar somewhere right about the time he came over to FC Dallas? He'd actually moved from Germany, so that could I thought he had spent some time with another club before he came to FC Dallas in the area, in the Classic League. Am I wrong about that? 
Buzz? I don't know the I don't know the answer to that question. To be honest with you, most people that have been tweeting about him said he played here for seven years for FC Dallas, but I don't I, I don't have any information, Peter. I'm sorry. Okay, no, that's fine. I, for somewhere in there, I swear I've heard the story that he he started with either Solar or Texans or Andromeda or somebody, and then got uh, uh you know uh, I don't know what the right word is stolen or signed or lured <laughs> over to FC Dallas. Um, and, and the reason why that's important is both training and solidarity payments are then split between whatever clubs he played for in those age groups, between those age groups based on how many years. So if he played for Dallas for six years and just to make it up Texans for one, whatever that amount of money is would be, uh, paid appropriately. Now, the other question I have, maybe Dan, you know, this better than I do, or buzz, you know, he played for Solo, by the way. He did. Okay. I knew it was somebody like that. Uh, the question I have is, because this is so new for American clubs, I think the big question mark is, what is that process? Does You know, we've heard the story that Juve called Dallas and said, what is your expectations in terms of a solidarity payment? And I think that's because they just, they're so used to that in the terms of taking, you know, transferring a player they thought that was the proper process, but I'm not sure we know what the proper execution of that is here in the United States. Do you guys know what that is yet? Well, I'm not sure 100% that MLS knows. You know, That's they just the last year decided that they were going to pursue them. So I, I think they're probably learning as we're learning how it all works. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you've, you've also got the U.S. soccer aspect because U.S. soccer were the ones that were trying to say um, it was around the time Clint Dempsey moved to Tottenham. Uh, and Spurs got in touch with the league and they were like, hey, uh, we're just going to give you guys the, you know, we want to sort this out. But the fact that he played in college then made it slightly confusing because the US soccer said, well, if you, if Spurs give any money that would be due to Furman, then that becomes a, a labor law issue. Hmm. Well, I, I my question is is do, do clubs wherever they are and, may, and maybe you can relate this to uh, Luton or something? Is it the club's responsibility to apply for these payments, or are they no, just automatically assumed by the buying club and they are by law having to pay them? Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's a duty bound thing. Uh, as the transfers complete, the buying club has to purchase uh, has to. Um, get in touch and and, and handle that. Uh, otherwise, the uh, the training clubs or the, the clubs that are due a payment of some form uh, can lodge a protest and, and have that player effectively suspended. Interesting. So the other question I have is, if <clears throat> the club like Dallas has a sell-on clause like they do for Reggie, does that in some way negate solidarity payments? Boy, I, I don't know. I, I my instinct is no because it's a separate. Because yeah. essentially, that like with let's talk about Reggie for example. Essentially, he's co-owned by FC Dallas and Boa Vista, basically. Right. So it's like whoever owns the team owns the player when they sell him pays the solidarity. So FC Dallas, in a way, is going to own solidarity to themselves, <laughs> and Boa Vista is going to own their fifty percent of the solidarity to FC Dallas. Does that make sense? That's the way I read it. But I've never occurred to me to actually ask that question with these sell-on percentages. I don't know. 
it's and obviously it's with Weston, there is no sell-on because there was no deal. Right. Right. Weston, yeah, Weston never was a professional player for the club. Any value they get is from a solidarity and, a, and or training payment that they, they may get. Now, if he ends up getting transferred to um, uh, Juve, for, what's the running number that I'm seeing? Is it like $25 million or something? 21, I think, was the... Yeah, I mean, 5% five, 5 of that's still a, a pretty significant chunk of money and, and may help a little bit in, in realizing you never made any money off the kid to begin with. Well, if it, with, especially right now with Major League Soccer losing the money that it's losing. I mean, there was a quote from Garber in the State of the League thing because somebody asked him about the NBA giving $30 million to each of their teams to sort of get ready for this season. And he said, well, it would be nice to have that kind of money laying around that we could give to our teams. But even if we did, $30 million would not solve the debt problem for most of our teams. So that means that teams in MLS, most teams in MLS, are last year lost more than $30 million. So it's, you can imagine even just FC Dallas being more frugal than others, perhaps didn't lose as much as some of the others did. So you can imagine what a sale like this is going to do in terms of balancing the books this year. Yeah, I, I I wondered if that's like a median number that he's laying across because I find it hard to believe that FC Dallas is thirty million dollars behind in the books just because of this season. Well, no, it was the idea of like if you gave thirty million to every team, and he said it would not solve the problem for most of our teams. So I doubt that Dallas is down thirty million because they don't spend that kind of money. They're much right. more frugal but than that. I'm just like saying that big picture or an LAFC who's yeah. had no attendance all this season. Yeah, no, that well, makes with, sense. Yeah, with the league and. Whole losing over a billion dollars, it's like even for a team that runs a small budget like FC Dallas, any kind of player sale or any kind of solidarity is going to go a long way to making things continue to function for the club, given that they're furloughing people and having players take pay cuts and all that crap like everybody else in the world is doing right now. Well, uh, this is uh, certainly more of the fun conversation to have. We've never really kind of gotten into it at this level. We've all been anticipating it, but now it's finally here. And I mean, we're learning just like everybody else. You know, yeah. this is new to us for this in this club. The club's yeah. learning. Well, I, I certainly have spent uh, in an inordinate amount of time trying to figure out, you know, the ins and outs of solidarity payments and training payments and. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, I learned a lot in the last few days, but I'm sure there's much more to learn and we'll, you know, kind of ride all the, ride, all ride the train together as they say. All right. So let's move on to the club itself. The season is over. Uh, you know, before we know it, the new season's going to start. Garber is insisting it's going to happen in March and the players association is like, eh, hold on a minute. Let's see if we... Uh, can wrestle. I guess that will all be, uh, uh, you know, determined at some near point as to when it'll start. But one of the things that I've wondered about in thinking and reflecting on the season uh, for Dallas is how much do you think, I think this is a two-part question, how much do you think internally the Hunts and um, Lucci and Zanata just consider 2020 a write-off season and how much should we consider 2020 to be just a, a season to write off because of all the COVID and oddities and all those things? I think they'll write it off a little bit in terms of evaluating big picture. Like it, it's tough to evaluate fairly Lucci and maybe even tough to fairly evaluate Zanata. Certainly on the business side, you can't evaluate squat because it's so different than everything else. So like those big picture macro level things, I'll get thrown out the window. But um, 
on on the on the small level in terms of player performance or um, you know learning to win on the road or anything else you want to come up with. You know, even when you want to look at the performance of the team, everybody played in the same league. Everybody played in the same COVID. So, you know, you still have to look at where the team finished and where they are in the, in the greater picture of the standings. You still can look at their poor offense. You can still look at their pretty good defense. You know, so all those things are enough that you can build and go forward. Just some of the big picture lessons are probably lost. Dan, uh, when you look at 2020, how do you uh, use it as a measuring guide for Luchi Gonzalez as the manager? Uh, you look at it really from the aspect that Luchi talks about, um, about challenges and embracing them and putting players in, in, in discomfort. Uh, that's that's what the whole season was, and so yeah, if you write that off, you write off any you're forgetting any any lesson that could be learned from that. Uh, whether it was playing in empty stadiums or having your schedule dicked about and going to two games a week, not having those full micro cycles that that they love to talk about. Uh, you know, you've you've got to embrace that and say, look, if if you know that was that was a valid season like any other so every team had to deal with the same adversity um this is where FC Dallas finished and and this is where you know and you want to kind of take a step further you don't want to look at, at 2019 and say okay well that's this is the continuation of that because you've got a different team you've got changes to you know what we know Lucci Ball as and and Lucci's secondary plans which which aren't you know that that luchi ball model i guess which uh which he embraces uh quite often uh it would just be a mistake to in any sense just just write off as a an asterisk season so buzz uh you know knowing how 2020 went down and this being luchi's second year as a professional <clears throat> coach uh, or a coach of a, of a professional team, uh, I think your uh, your point of view is interesting because you spent the first year pretty close to Lucci, seeing him on a regular basis, watching his practices go down, kind of understanding from a uh, first point of view. Now you've had a second season where that's been absent. You've not been able to go to practice and talk to the players and talk to Lucci on a one-on-one basis. Has your perspective on Lucci changed at all in terms of his skill sets, what he's good or bad at, or do you now have just more questions about Lucci after this season? Uh, I, th- I think my assessment of him has not changed dramatically. You know, a couple of the things that I was a little bit worried about are basically still things I'm a little bit worried about. And the things that I like, I still like quite a bit. So it's kind of the same um, in that regard. Uh, I have noticed that his perspective has changed, however, because he was clearly hired with a play the kids mantra to to be the extension of the academy to the first team. And tactically, that's still true. But um, whether through Zanata's influence or Lucci's own influence, and it's probably a combination of both, they clearly have decided really quickly after basically one season that play the kids doesn't work, that you can't just play kids and win that you have to have a team made up of veterans in the prime of their career. If you want to try and compete and get ahead, you know, there still is a mix of kids. They still will play a kid 
if the kid rises to the level of the game, but you can't just play kids. Now I say that, and then they went and finished basically like one position better in the standings. So it'll be interesting to me watching this winter going into the spring. Hopefully by then we can go back to training. It'll be interesting to see how Lucci changes between season two and season three, because the season one to two progression was we got to get some veterans. So what's the next progression? Is there going to be a progression where he looks at, honestly, it's the last four years of this team have, have been seventh twice and sixth once, which isn't as good as their historic record says they should be. So is he going to look in the mirror or is he going to look at his team and say, here's a progression we need to make and a direction we need to go. And hopefully we can talk going forward here in a minute of how that might articulate itself along some lines that we would like it to be. And, and there's some interesting problems in this team. And it'll be interesting to me to see if he recognizes the, the problems that we recognize or if he sees some problem that we've missed and has a different solution. And then, of course, over the course of the season, if his solutions work, it'll be fun. All right. May I be so bold as to put you on the spot and ask you what the things you do and don't like about Lucci are? Sure. I really like his desire to play with very modern tactics. I really like that. His, 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 his dream to replicate what uh, Pep and, um, and Liverpool and, and uh, do with the high pressing and the flying outside backs and the build forward and possession game. I love the modern way that he plays. Uh, I, I don't like that. Maybe he doesn't recognize that he doesn't quite have the talent for it in the team. That bothers me a little bit. Um, I'm worried that he puts value on player contracts in terms of selection. It bothers me that Frank O'Hara is chosen over Cobra when Cobra was playing better. It bothers me that Brian Acosta comes back from an injury and walks right back into the lineup because he's a DP. It bothers me that Santi Mascarera comes back from an injury, and I didn't say fit because he never gets fit, but he comes back from an injury, and because of the DP, he walks right into the lineup. So that bothers me a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if that's a trend to watch for um, because, and the same is true even with Brisson. Why, why does Brisson play three or four games at right back when Reggie left before Brian came in? I mean, how good is Brian Reynolds, right? The kid is ridiculous. Why in the world did it take three or four games for him to play? And why you're playing Brisson out of position? Was it because Brisson gets paid five hundred thousand dollars and he deserves an opportunity or something? I don't understand it. So that that's the thing that worries me the most. Um, I appreciate that he does not give up on people. He will he will keep a guy in training and keep working with him. Cobra's a great example. He did not give up on Cobra last year. I gave up on Cobra a month in even before the season started, probably. But a month in the season, I was done. Really, she didn't give up on him. And in the end, he got him to play and got him to be a big helper and a big component of the team at the end. So that's good. I like that he's a teacher and tries to develop people and progress people. I think he's a little bit preachy and a little bit long-winded. And I think players, especially veteran players, will tune out. That worries me a little bit. So I think that's about it. That's a pretty pretty deep <laughs> Positive, negative influence. Uh, I, one more thing. I do like that Lucci is always self-analyzing and always looking to improve and does recognize his own failures and successes. Both of those things, I think, are, are positive. 
All right. So, uh, Dan, I'm interested in your point of view of the point that Buzz brought up about uh, playing DP players when maybe they shouldn't be played. Do you think that is, A, a sign of a very immature and inexperienced manager, or B, uh, the pressure being put on him from above? Uh, I think it's a little bit of inexperience, a little bit of pressure from above. Uh, you think So that would be C, both A C and both. B. Yeah. <laughs> did, what did I say? You said A and B. You kind of went with both. So yeah, I was yeah. saying that would be C. Okay. okay. I was just um, sorry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> damn it. You made me lose my track. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think one thing is, uh, you know, when take when Lucci was on the 17s coach, you know, he's, his week is dictated by the 19s his, and, and the first team and, and anything above of, yeah, um, you know, we're going to take these players up, you know, you've got these. Or um, if, there's a, if there's a player that somebody wants to particularly look at, hey, this, this player is playing in your team this week, um, which is fine. He can, do that to, he can do that to Eric Quill. That's the whole point of a development team. That's not the point of a first team. Um, as the coach, he is the guy that's supposed to pick the team based on merit and merit alone. Uh, so yeah, there is definitely an element of that that I mean, I think everybody um, and their grandmother has uh, has identified at one point or another this season. Uh, particularly, the Cobra example being the uh, the the most egregious. But um, you know, one one thing I think it's worth adding to what, what Buzz said about uh, the tactical side of things. You know, I like that he has a plan B. Um, one of the biggest things that everyone complained about Oscar was it was four two three one counter attack never changed. He thought about a four four two one week, gave it up, never went back. Um, you know, Lucci reacts in game. It might be ugly at times. It might be that uh, that first half against Nashville or, or Real Salt Lake or, or Portland. Um, it might be going to a, a three five two and then not liking it and then tweaking it, coming it back to it a year later and finding a little more success. But that that in itself is is a coach developing um, a style, which uh, is is an encouraging thing for this team, particularly a young team that that can be molded in such a way. All right. So, um, anything else, Buzz? You want to add about Lucci? I know. I know. At some point in a future podcast or in your Patreon stuff, you'll probably get to uh, you know more um, detailed about it. But is there anything else, just kind of overview about Lucci's season that you want to throw in there? Uh, not, not particularly. Um, you know, uh, one of the we talked about last week the idea that he sees Jesus in himself, and I think Jesus and Paxton now with their new salaries sort of qualify into that group of guys that are. You know, listen, you get paid a lot of money because you're good, theoretically. So, it's you know, I'm not saying it's necessarily the salary. I'm just saying sometimes it seems like there's an influence there, and that worries me. You know, I think overall, I, I like I like the direction Lucci's trying to push the team. It'll be interesting to see if he can get the pieces he needs and continues to push it. All right, so one of the themes for the uh, upcoming next season that I think is the most fascinating, and you alluded to this a little bit in your, in your kind of review of Lucci, uh, buzz is this idea that at some point the hunts zanata and lucci all have to come to an agreement as to what the plan is in terms of 
what this the best starting eleven looks like, and and I feel like it's this there's this uh, uh, fracture that's happened between the play the kids idea, right, which maybe wasn't working very good, and then shifting dramatically over to relying on your DPS and or uh, veteran talent from other countries, which they really kind of went to later. And and where do you think ultimately, Buzz, this is going to land? Because I think this is the biggest question about the club. Yeah, I think it's going to be a mix. Um, the, the key to making it work will be that the guys that you sign as homegrowns between the ages of 15, which they haven't really done very much, but 15 to say 23 when they come out of college, depending on where you get these homegrowns, somewhere in there, those guys are not ready for Major League Soccer yet. Now, you get Paxton and Jesus eventually get there. Tanner got there earlier. Brian Reynolds got there, you know, at 19. That's kind of where your best guys, 18, 19 years old. Like, the guys that aren't in that mix, a lot of them North Texas doesn't make a lot of sense for. You know, North Texas isn't quite good enough. North Texas is good in a lot of ways because working with Quill is good in a lot of ways. But you got to figure out how to play these guys and where to play these guys. So that's going to be the big question mark in terms of development because by bringing in these veterans, which they obviously have decided they must have a mix of them, there's a lot less places to play. Like, look what happened to Brandon Cervania and Edwin Cerillo this last year. You know, so you got to figure out a balance with that part because I think they've figured out a balance with. Uh, the veterans, because some of the veterans they've started to bring in, uh, you know, the, the biggest example is um, uh, Andres Ricarte. It's not 30 something. He's 28, 29. So that's a little bit of a change, actually, you know. Um, and if they're going to go that route and they're going to try and lop off some of the top, Zico's going to be gone. You know, some of these mid 30s guys, it'll be interesting to see how that mix continues to go forward. They're going to have to sign some people this winter. So it'll be those the ages of the players they bring in and the level of the players they bring in are going to tell us a lot about this new direction and how, whether how much it's going to stick. All right. But Dan, isn't really one of the biggest talking points about the 2020 season is the fall off of production of youth on this team. And I'm speaking, and obviously Paxton got, you kind of have to set off on the side because it's an injury situation, but I'm thinking of Brandon Cervania's fall off of form and Cerio's uh, lack of playing time, those types of players and how all of this mixes together that if the whole point of this club is to build and grow and sell off, if they can't get those guys to convert uh, because they've also spent a lot of money on on other midfielders or somebody in that same position, how is this all going to finally work together? And in, in many ways, it doesn't. Um, you know, every not everyone on that on that production line is is going to turn around and and turn into cash for FC Dallas. Um, but let me yeah. ask you. But hold up, while you think about while you think about that answer, I want to throw in one element. How do you know they won't work out if you don't give them the time? Like, is Brandon Cervania not turning into a regular starter? because he's not playing regularly because you've got some guy you spent a lot of money to bring in here or paying a lot of money uh, instead. Well, I mean, hopefully, well, the reason is because he's just not doing it in training and that somebody else is, um, you know, uh, and it's, it's, it's tough for, on that aspect because that's the part that, that fans never see. Um, and we don't you know, either. Obviously well, now. We, we haven't this year. Oh, and I'll give you the perfect example is uh, David Tessera. When people you say why is why do they persist with him? Why is he still playing? Why? 
And then I'd go to training every week without fail, and he would put in a world-class performance. But then come game day, it just wasn't happening for him. It just wasn't clicking. And, you know, Pereira at that point was was hoping that what he was doing five days a week would translate into the sixth. Um, you know, uh, we know when Savania and, and Cerillo had that big switch last year, uh, when Savania took over the job, it was because of what he was doing in training compared to Cerillo. Uh, and you could use Tanner as an example this year. He earned a contract yeah. in training, and then he earned playing time in training and earned starts in training. You well, know, he's he wasn't on. The, yeah. He wasn't even on the radar last year. But but here, I, I do think it's a fair question, and Tanner is really the best example. If Brian Acosta was fully healthy and playing at whatever form level you want to judge, do you think he is there any real? Uh, is it realistic to think that Tanner would have started that playoff game in Seattle over Brian Acosta? No, because Tanner wouldn't have, might not have gotten the spring training invite if Acosta hadn't been hurt, and then he wouldn't have started the first two games if Acosta hadn't been hurt. I just mean, I just yeah. mean at the end of the season when he yeah. got, you know, he's on the roster, right? Yeah. No, I, you remember when we talked about the uh, the preview of the first game against um, Timbers? I actually talked about the idea that. You know, Acosta was going to be on the bench, and then going into Seattle, I was afraid he was going to start in Seattle. And so right. we found out that he hurt himself in the Timbers warm-up, you know, because we knew that Lucci would look to the guy that's played in the World Cup instead of an 18-year-old, you know. So it's entirely reasonable, and that's why we talked about the balance, right? They they have decided clearly that in order to win in this league, they need middle-of-career veterans, somewhere between 24 to 30, because that's the guys they've gone out and tried to get the last year or two. You know, and it escalated this year. So if if your idea is still play the kids, either you can only play them if they get good enough to demand time, like Paxton clearly does, or if you find another place to play them. That's what I was talking about. It's like they got to figure because the organization philosophy is about these kids and they're coming through the academy, and right. yet the first team is not. There's a disconnect there that they have to solve. Yeah, and th- and that's what I find so maddening about this whole organization is I just don't understand internally how they think. Uh, I have to assume there's a mission statement or some sort of plan that they're all working off of. I just can't sort it out of my head how they see this working. If they need to get the Tanner Tessmans and Brandon Cervanias and Cerrillos of the world time on the field, yet at the same time, they like is the is the goal to win MLS Cup? Is the goal to uh, put? the best mix of things together. And if we happen to win MLS cup, that's groovy. I, that's where I've, I'm very, very confused as to how they see all of this working. Yeah. I, I think that they have, they have two organizational goals that are not necessarily in sync with each other. You know, there's clearly this organizational goal to be this pipeline to make players and sell them. It's also clearly an organizational goal. Now people are going to say it's not because they don't spend money, but that doesn't mean they're not trying just because they're not spending. doesn't mean they're not trying. They are trying to win championships. They don't do it like somebody out there might wish that they would, but that's not the same thing. Those are different things. So there's clearly a disconnect from, and it may even come from Dan and Clark. We want to sell players. We want to be a pipeline and we want to compete to win championships. And I don't, those things may be mutually exclusive. I'm not really sure. There definitely is not synergy there for sure. Right, and so this leads to the conversation about uh, designated players and the signing of designated players and just how, you know, to be honest, historically this club isn't very good at doing it. Um, And do you think there is something in place for them to fix that, or is that just kind of a crapshoot, although it feels like some teams are way better at it than Dallas has been? 
Yeah, I, I feel like the the attempt to fix it is Andre Zanata. Uh, the organizational philosophy is clearly uh, value signings, where Zanata, since he's come in, he knew guys that had value that weren't too expensive. Obviously, like Santos, Thiago Santos is an example of that. He knew them from South America. Uh, Frank Vahara, you can throw out the window of this conversation because that's a Dan Hunt signing. Um, the idea historically with DPs is that they go for guys that are cheaper that might have upside, you know, like they were trying with the Rongis to go young and were trying with Mascara to go young with upside and see what happens. That's how they want a DP. This club's not going to drop, you know, $5 million to bring Bradley back from Europe, you know, as a, just as a crazy example, it's not how they roll. So I think the Zanata is the fix for that in the sense that they hope that his, connections in South America and his hopefully his knowledge or connections with scouting. They now remember FC Dallas quietly in the last few years has built up more international scouting. They've got guys working for them in other countries. They don't talk about it very much, but they do. So that's an improvement. Matter of fact, you could throw in with that Eric Quill right now is traveling all over the place, scouting domestically all over the United States, looking for diamonds in the rough, if you will. So, that's their philosophy now is that, that they're hoping that they're going to be able to identify pieces that are cheaper to bring them in and become bigger, whether that's kids, whether it's North Texas, whether it's DPs, it's just how they roll. It's just what they do. So it's just be better at it. You know, cross your fingers. All right, Dan. So currently for 2019, the, the, the club's three DPs were. Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking <laughs> oh, you to sorry. recite who the three DPs were for 2020. Yeah, oh, yeah, uh, this this season that we just finished. Yep. So uh, Brian Acosta, Santiago Mascara, and Frank O'Hara. Frank O'Hara. Yep. All right. So is it possible? So d- will well. So now that now that uh, one of those three are gone, and I know Buzz's in uh, Christmas wish list is for them to pay off. Frank O'Hara, uh, but I think we're all in agreement that's Mine's never going to gonna happen. Uh, and yours is to pay off Acosta. Now, yours, I think, is slightly more possible, although I still find it doubtful for the Hunts to spend the money to buy that out and then turn around and spend more money to re-sign or to sign a new replacement player. Well, I think you can trade or sell Acosta. That's what I'd like to, to say. To another after. MLS team? Another MLS team or sell him to somebody wherever. I'm just saying I think it can be done. Okay. Have him. So do you? Uh, so Dan, are you looking forward to the new season uh, with one or two or zero new DPs for FC Dallas? Uh, well, I mean, it's all going to depend, right? Because FC Dallas really has like seven DP level salaries on on the roster. Um, so what they have to play around with, they no longer have to use the DP exemption on Pablo Aranguiz, which is nice. Um. They'll no longer have Reto Ziegler's eight hundred thousand on the roster. Um, I mean, you know, we we talk about Andre Zanata, but there's also Marco Ferrucci as director of soccer operations, and I know a large part of his job is is to get the guys the loans. Um, but it's also he's the one that knows MLS rules and, and roster regulations, and is is going to be the guy guiding Andre Zanotta through, you know, through this is a DP, this is a TAM signing, right. you know, and everything else. So 
hopefully uh hopefully we see something i mean and it comes down to the the same thing we said on the last part right fc Dallas has a history of one or two million dollar transfer fees the if they didn't necessarily look at the return on investment and just said hey this is an investment in the quality of the team we're not going to get this back you know you can get a, a valeri or, or someone like that um and hopefully, you know, these Zanotas coming from a place of, of actually winning and and can really educate them on that and, and kind of give them that, that guidance. I thought it was interesting. I went and looked up the top 10 salaries from 2019 on the team. And number one was Reto, and he's now gone. Uh, Edwin Jassi was two, and he's gone. <laughs> Brian Acosta is still here. Santi Mascara was four, and he's gone. Christian Coleman was five, and he's gone. Matt Hedges was six. He's fine. Cobra, seven, gone. Brisson was eight, and they're renegotiating him, which to me means they're going to give him back backup money, so it'll be less. Michael Barrios was nine. They just picked up his option. He's still here, and Pablo Arangis is 10, and he's gone. So, but you have to add in there, of course, Frank O'Hara is now tops. Pomacol and Freya are both in there now at their roughly 500000 600000 a year. Santos and Ricarte are probably in there. Um, and really, that's that's pretty much it. But, you know, Ziegler, Jossi, Mosquera, Coleman, Cobra, and Orangis, that's six guys out of the top ten from a year and a half ago, two years ago, are gone. The reason we looked at 2019 is because they didn't publish the salaries for 2020, you know, probably because all these teams asked their players to take pay cuts and things are so crazy and everyone is having a tough time at home. So I imagine it was a PR decision not to publish the 2020 salaries, and they probably never will. But or, that's why we have to go on 2019. Or somebody just wants to continually rub it in how much money Edwin Jossie made for nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to quit after 17 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, Buzz, uh, we're running long, I think, but I do feel like we should at a very high level uh, take notice of what you believe the, the team's biggest must-needs in terms of positional signings will be for the 2021 season. Well, I've got a thing on this that's going to go live on the website uh, Friday, but um, in the short version is that... Um, you know, you know your, who your keeper is. You know who your left back is. What you're missing is the big hole at left center back because clearly Ziegler is gone and clearly Brisson is a backup at best. You know, that's a, that's a hole there. Athletically, it needs to be upgraded. Hedges is a lock. Uh, you have to re- re- replace Reynolds. But as we talked about, there, that outside back is not what I call a bellwether position. It's a position where the club's not going to spend a lot of money. So you're not going to go sign some big farm player, I don't think. I think they're going to look internally first. So really the only defensive signing is left center back. So you can look at for expect a foreign signing to come in, um, if not DP outright close to that level with a buy down maybe. Midfield is set. You have Thiago Santos and you have 800 million eights on this team already. It's the front line. It's a disaster. So um, if you're stuck with Frank O'Hara, which you likely are for probably two more seasons, Good Lord. Um, you know, Pepe at 17 going on 18. Listen, we're excited about his progression, but you can't expect that kid to start 35 games next year with Haro on the bench. It'll never happen. Um, it'll destroy your locker room because Haro will go nuts if you do. But um, mainly just because that's a lot of burden on 18 year old kids. So they need to Unless sign Unless Frank yeah. O'Hara succumbed to some sort of injury. Yeah, if he's or hurt or whatever. But the bottom line is. Unfortunate accident. Yeah. <laughs> Someone clubs his knee with a pipe. Don't do that. I was a joke. 
Texas um, break lines. You know, Jesus Ferreira's maybe in that mix as a nine. So I think they need to sign a nine, not not a crazy DP nine, but a middle of your twenties to, to push Har legitimately because Har doesn't look at Pepe as competition. So you need a legit competition there, like a mid twenties. Doesn't have to be great. Just needs to be somebody who can play a little bit. Cal Jennings would have been awesome. Um, and then you need because Barrios is getting old. Uh, I wouldn't. I don't. I, the problem is, is I don't think that they can afford to do both a center back and a nine and something else because you need a wing on the left to compete with a Fafa Pico. So, because I don't think you can afford to sign three guys because you have all these, you still have Acosta as a DP. So the problem, the problem is with Acosta on the roster as a DP still, you know, you don't have a ton of leeway or room. You have some, but it might be difficult to get a nine and a wing. So Barrios probably is again, a starter on the right, as much as I wish he wasn't. Uh, Fafa Pico will compete on one of the other wings. It means you're short a wing somewhere. So I think it's very likely that between Jesus and Paxton, you're going to have to try and fill some of those roles up front. I know that we talked about the idea that as with Ricarte being an eight, that you could play Paxton and Jesus in the midfield with him, like a double eight look, but you have so many other guys and so much money in Acosta and Tanner and Cervania. There's a lot of eights in there. So I think it's actually very likely that Jesus will go back to competing at the forward ranks, whether it be wing or whether it be a nine and that Paxton will take, They'll go into the spring with the idea that Paxton might be your first choice left wing, uh, competing with Fafa Pico for that spot. I know you hate it, Peter. I'm not, but that's the thing is like you can't think about it like what you or I would think would happen. You have to try and think about what they're going to think that can happen and where they can spend some money and how they're handcuffed in certain areas with money. And how do you get Paxton on the field if you're playing a double eight look and Ricardo's got to play and Acosta's a DP, so he's got to play. Where are you going to play Paxton? You got to get him well, on the field, okay. don't you? Yeah. So I got a couple of answers and solutions for you. One yeah. is you move on from Jesus Ferreira. You know what you've got in that kid, unless he turns out some sort of unbelievable national team showing. I I I don't know what else more we need to know about Jesus Ferreira. Move him on. Have you and and let. Paxton take that position and I also think you know there's an opportunity for them to move on from Brian Acosta too I think we know what we've got in Brian Acosta and it ain't much and it certainly isn't what you're what you're paying him so there's two opportunities to make some space for Paxton and play him in his rightfully and prop rightful and proper position now I I agree with you that's Thank what you for I listening would, to my TED talk yeah that's what I would do and I think that's what they should do but I don't think it's what they're gonna do because I think that they spent a record-breaking transfer fee to get Acosta when they did, and that he's a DP, and he played in the World Cup, and they're infatuated with that level. And I think that they just brought That's in... just uh, weird. Uh, ...brought in Mercarte, and th- those are your two eights. And then if you want to include Tanner Testman in there, and you want to include Brandon Savania in there, you know, or you want to include Thomas Robertson there or whatever, you know, the, the you, if you're trying to get Pox and Pomacall onto the field... It's likely going to have to be as left wing. You can throw Jesus out. That doesn't even matter. Still, how do you get Paxton into the game? Are they going to bench Acosta, a DP? Are they going to bench Ricarte to play Paxton, who's 20? No, they're not going to. Okay, but well, well, let me let me throw it this way to you. Well, let's say Paxton, and I, and I kind of want to end the conversation about FC Dallas as a club with Paxton. This was in the way I had it written in my notes, which was 
is let's just say Paxton comes back and plays really, really well in training. Are we now back to the thing we talked about earlier where the coach has to make a decision between playing the kid, really the, you know, local face of the club or the guy you paid a lot of money for in a DP signing over Brian Acosta. And and right. are you suggesting to me that Lucci will still go with Acosta over Paxton? Yeah, I am. Okay. You know, I, and I, I, oh, wait, hold on. Let me let me follow that up. So, do you yeah. believe that's because of the money and the pressure from above, or because he thinks that's what he needs in terms of leadership or something like that? If they're playing equally as well, or even if Paxton's playing better in training, why would you go with Brian Acosta if you're Luchi Gonzalez? I think it's the C answer. It's both of those things. It's the fact that you're paying uh, Acosta a bunch of money as a GP, and it's the fact that he's an experienced guy in the prime of his career who played in the World Cup. Now, I also think, to be fair, I don't think Paxton's competing with Brian Acosta. I think Paxton's competing with Andres Ricarte. So, you know, those I know those players kind of play the same position these days because Ricarte plays this deep eight position. But I think that if you have everybody healthy – I think that they brought Ricarte in to play with Acosta, not to play with Pomacol. I think right. Pomacol either competes with Ricarte or goes and plays somewhere else. Or or there's so many I mean, listen, there's gonna be shifting, there's gonna be call ups, Acosta's gonna go, be gone for World Cup qualifying, Paxton can be gone for World Cup qualifying. All kinds of crazy ass crap could happen if everyone's healthy. So it's never gonna be like here's eleven players that are gonna start thirty games. So that's not gonna happen. I'm just saying that I think it's very, very likely that if you if you look at an everybody healthy lineup and you know, I got to get Paxton on the field, where can I do that? That right wing or left wing, probably left wing, are the most available positions that are in most. Uh, you've had a problem now for like four. Well, since Castillo left, they've not had a good left wing. So why not try and fix it with Paxton? <laughs> Uh, I never, ever want my uh, favorite athletes to be Des Bryant-like, but if there was one time I wish Paxton Pomacall was more like Des Bryant in terms of uh, expressing himself online and on social media so that you get an idea of what's running through the kid's head, I really do wonder on a daily... I think about this almost every day. What must Paxton Pomacall be thinking and going through at this point as he looks forward to the next season? He's probably desperate to be healthy, but I'm 100% with you, Peter. If I was in charge, it's Ricarte and Paxton in the midfield, a double eight look, but I'm not in charge. So, I, I Yeah, no, I, I get that. I just I think about, uh, I just wonder what Paxton's thinking about in terms of his recovery. Like, we have no idea. Like, the club's not talking about it. Paxton's not talking about it. Even people who I know who know Paxton's family are being very guarded uh, about his particular condition and status of his uh, recovery, and we don't know anything about it. We don't know how far along he's coming, and 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 you know he's got a lot. I mean, literally, the kid's career could take a dramatic turn one way or the other based yeah. on how twenty twenty one goes. That's it's actually very frightening that that is the case. That no one wants to talk about it. That's usually what happens when it's not going well. You know, for all I know, I don't think that he's returned to physical like training yet, as far as I know. I mean, I've not heard. Usually when some guy comes back out to training and back out, out on the fields, we hear right. about it. I haven't heard that. So it's entirely possible that the beginning of 2021 is in jeopardy for that kid. We have no idea. So I imagine that he's probably really hurting and really desperate to get back and try and prove himself again. I mean, he's going to be off for effectively off for a year. I mean, I know he wasn't literally off for a year, but effectively it's yeah. going to be. It's also well, a yeah. different situation in that every other time there's been a major injury, 
one of us has been asking every week, what's the status, what's the status, actually out there so that they can't just kind of ignore it. And, you know, this this year it's kind of it's very much been an outside, out of mind type deal because, you know, obviously we're not allowed out there to practice. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I, I don't want anybody to listen to this and go away with this idea that we're we are leaning towards the idea that his recovery is not going well. I'm worried it about is it. Ex- well, yeah, but yeah. I do think there's a lot in what Dan is saying, which is we're not there. You guys, not me, you guys aren't at practice day in and day out pestering Lucci or somebody about his status. So that's that's kind of fallen by the wayside, and maybe it's time to start doing that. But at the same time, it you know, and not again, this gets back to my Des Bryant analogy. It's not like Paxton's on Instagram posting videos of him setting his <laughs> phone down in the grass and running cones or juggling the ball, right? We're not yeah. seeing any of that out of him. Well, not that Paxton we had before. Is, yeah, is the first person to say he hates social media. Sure, but again, that's why I wish he was more. Um, like that, <laughs> you know, Des Bryant in that way, because I feel like we get a little better insight. Um, and he certainly didn't really talk about it when he was on Chum Chat, which is now one of my favorite podcasts in the whole world, by the way, guys. Um, he, he didn't really even he kind of avoided that whole thing there and just said it was going well. So uh, I'm I, I think that whole storyline about Paxton and what must be going through that kid's head is uh, one to keep an eye on. Yeah, it's definitely a question. He's definitely at a crossroads in a lot of ways. Um, you know, if he's not able to recover from this, it's going to really damage his long-term prospects. Pressure. Uh, okay, yeah. so anything else about uh, 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 FC Dallas as a on-field product that we want to discuss before we move on to the our final topic of the pod? Not for me. All right, Dan, this is where you come in hot and heavy because you get to recap the support of local soccer in the form of the Roja League. Yeah, it's a fun week last uh, last week. Uh, got out to watch a couple of games as my dog drinks water really loudly in the background. Um, so there was the, the Denton, uh, Denton Derby, the uh, very hotly anticipated one where Estudiant has proved yet again they are, uh, have a much better roster than the actual Denton Diablos team, uh, winning 4-1. Uh, for an FC Dallas standpoint, um, Ben Hale in goal saving a penalty for, uh, for the Estudiantes. Uh, the games I went to see were at, at Four Sports Club in North Dallas. Uh, I was kind of excited because uh, Premier Legends is a team that's made up Especially the alumni team of the FC Dallas Premier 2001 team. So that was Jesus Ferreira's team. Um, so they actually uh, lost 1 0 to FC Harrington on a known goal. Uh, it was uh, very much a uh, lesser talented side that was kicking the ever loving crap out of uh, Premier Legends. George uh, John Jr. wasn't on that team, was he? Uh, no, okay. but uh, crap, he was. Uh, Don't worry about it. I'm just making funnies. <laughs> Not him and Al McGuire. Is that Benia's team, Kevin Benia's team? Yeah, it was Kevin Benia's team. Uh, yeah, he was the really the only good player on that team. Um, but Premier Legends was Michael Collodi. It was uh, Judson Burns. It was a, a whole lot of good F- young FC Dallas players. If you follow Buzz's list on who should FC Dallas uh, sign as a homegrown next, 
and he lists the the ones to watch. Uh, most of those players were playing for Premier Legends, uh, and then the the uh, the main event of the evening, I guess you would put it, was four uh, O featuring Michelle uh, <laughs> beating Fort Worth Heroes three one, and uh, you know Seth Wilson, uh, FC Dallas's best. Uh, youth uh, goalkeeping prospect in goal for Fort Worth. He did get lobbed from the uh, sideline, but he was their only good player. Uh, Malik Henry-Scott was up front for uh, Foro, um, another a, a current academy kid, looked really good. Um, good to see Michelle even roll back the years with a goal. I spoke to him after the game and he said, you know, it's, it's funny, it was nice to get out there, but they had so many injuries, he didn't really have a whole lot of choice, so uh, it was kind of funny watching halfway through the second half when he realized, crap, I better put my kit on. And <laughs> <laughs> got changed out of his street clothes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but um, this this weekend's going to go into the... Uh, there's a Fort Worth doubleheader, uh, FC Harrington Irving, at 2 p.m. on Saturday, at test, uh, Texas Wesleyan. And Fort Worth Vaqueros and Innocentes, the uh, the Fort Worth Derby at 4 p.m. And then the Denton doubleheader is going to be fantastic. That is Estudiantes playing Premier Legends. Uh, that That is going to be an incredible game at 2 p.m. And then Denton Diablo is playing 4 at 4 p.m. over at Texas Women's University. All right. Now, I do have a question, and I think this is uh, my level of ignorance about the Denton Diablos structure. I was of the impression Denton Diablos was the main senior team, and the Estudiantes was a thing they threw together at the last second to help fill in a needed spot when they did this last year or earlier this year. Pretty much. Yet yet it it appears that the Estudiantes the the Estudiantes team is significantly better than the quote unquote senior team. Well, I'll explain it to you. The Denton Diablos was the original team that they have, and it was made up of college players almost entirely. And that team played in the NPSL entirely college players. And they did good enough in the NPSL that they qualified for the U S open cup, but the college kids can't play in the U S open cup. So they created Denton Estudiantes and they shifted all the kids, the college kids that got into the Open Cup, they shifted them all to Estudiantes and rebuilt Denton Diablos with people that can play in the U.S. Open Cup. So the the current, the real main team, the real head of this organization is worse than the Estudiantes college-age kids team that they had to create so that they could play the Denton team in the U.S. Open Cup. This is the same reason why the Vaqueros, who used to use a bunch of college kids, dumped all those kids and went with all semi-pro kids who play for the sidekicks, et cetera, et cetera, under Stavro. And they got into the U.S. Open Cup as well with that team. Of course, then Stavro left, so all those players left, and now they're terrible. But um, that's that's why there's two Denton teams and why the filler team, Estudiantes, is actually better than their main team. Yeah, I think uh, the, the interesting thing to come out of all this is just an understanding of the fine lines of just how similar all of these divisions, once you get down to this level, really are at the end of the day. And it's largely about organization and getting a couple of special players and le- less about what level in the pyramid you're playing at. Yeah, Estudiantes in particular has a couple of guys that are um, really highly thought of college players you know, that have come in, not, they're not there every time, but they've got some of the bigger names that have played for them and some of the better kids in the area have played for them. And so that's a really good 
team that was Denton Diablos and now is Denton Estudiantes. It's the same team. It's just a different name. You can check out all that information, tickets and dates and times and all of that on their website, RojaLeague.com, or is it TheRojaLeague.com? It's TheRojaLeague.com. TheRojaLeague.com. Okay. And uh, Uh, one thing as well, uh, one thing that's really cool about this league is they are very good for broadcasting their games. Uh, So definitely check out the Facebook pages of both uh, the Fort Worth Fakiros and Denton Diablos, they put on a really nice, uh, pretty professional broadcast um, on Facebook Live um, to catch those games. Technology is rad. Okay, anything else before I begin to shill? Well, Arturo Rodriguez landed with Phoenix Rising uh, in the USL Championship, so that's kind of a big deal. that he- He'll be joining Minnick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Our good friend Minnick. Oh, Jason the great Jason Minnick. Yeah. So they trumpeted that they, you know, re-signed their MVP I and miss- that they re-signed. They got the USL one MVP. So good for Arturo that he's landed a USL championship gig. I just want to say out loud, I really miss Jason Minnick. Yeah. He's a good dude. Good PR guy. Yeah. Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. Soccer 90's holiday sale starts this weekend. This weekend, so depending on when you're listening to this, that is uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the 11th, 12th, and 13th, 50 to 75% off anything you buy. And then beginning on Monday, the 14th, third-degree listeners receive 40% off with the promo code thirddegree on Soccer90.com. Just to clarify, Buzz, you yep. can't use the promo code on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to get 90% no. off total. <laughs> If for something's marked at 50 or actually yeah. they pay you money yeah. if it's 75% off and then you use your 40% off promo code and they actually pay you to take gear. So that no, doesn't it, work that's that how way. Austin sold all those jerseys. Oh, yeah. is that how it, it worked? It doesn't stack. It's not a stacking buff. No, uh, no basically. promotion at a time. Yeah, basically they're having the huge sale. So they turned off our December code for the weekend and then it'll come back. And then for the rest of December, our 40% off code is still be good. Yeah, I was looking through the website. I wish they sold shorts because I collect shorts these days, not shirts anymore. Wow. I, go really on eBay. Th- I know, but I wanted to participate in the sale and buy something from the store. And they don't sell either MLS or other global team shorts. They just Ooh. don't do it. Full kit wankering's not a thing over here. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I just like to wear them around the house, mister. Yeah. No pops. <clears throat> Uh, okay. Well, uh, thank you, Dan, uh, for your time and humor and insight on all those things. I appreciate it. Thank you. And Buzz, as always, uh, props to you, my friend. Would you like to promote your, your Patreon now, please? Yeah. This is where you do this here. Go. All right. Patreon.com slash third degree. And it is, uh, I tweeted out today, I, almost every day I do a little mini pod, two to three, maybe even eight minutes, sort of like a little dive on a topic. You know, and it's a little bonus content for people that support us. Or if you just want to throw us a dollar and uh, just because you love what we do on the podcast straight up, that is welcome as well. So please support us. Patreon.com slash third degree. Cup in hand. Thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. We will speak to you next week on another fun-filled edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Primer got that degree. Third degree, the third degree podcast. Third degree. Third degree, never get. Third degree, the third degree, never get. Third degree, the third degree, never get.